Welcome to the Sword and the Trial, a podcast of Founders Ministries. Founders Ministries exists for the recovery of the gospel and the reformation of churches. I'm Jared Longshore. And I'm Tom Askell. Thanks for joining us here at the Sword and the Trial today. Delighted to have you with us. And we are especially excited about this podcast because we have Pastor Callie, who has written the Doctrine of Balaam with us today. And we're going to be getting into the need to correct the secular pro-life establishment and to actually labor as Christians, trusting God to see abortion eradicated from our land. Yes, and he comes to us from the Free Republic of Texas. Oh, boy, uh, I got two Texans. (laughs) I got two Texans, man. I'm in trouble now. So before we get into all of that, just a reminder that we have a conference coming up in January down here in South. Southwest Florida, the Founders Conference. It is going to be on Militant and Triumphant, the Doctrine of the Church. We would love to have you join us. You can register at founders.org. It's going to be a great time. You'll be preaching. I'll be preaching. Vody Bauckham will be preaching. Travis Allen, our dear brother from Mount West, will be mm-hmm. preaching. James Coates from up in Alberta, Canada, will be preaching. Conrad and Bayway will be preaching as well. And folks coming in from all over, exhibitors, times to uh, reconnect from last year's conference. So go ahead and register today and join us down here in January. Yeah, and that will also be in a free state. I mean, Florida, by God's grace, has been given much opportunity to uh, continue on and to resist some of the federal uh, actions of late. So, and, and Southwest Florida in January is a wonderful time. So, I encourage you to sign up for that. You can go to founders.org, get more information, and um, share this podcast, right? We were talking about this before we got on today and there's a lot of things that you can do not neither jared nor i are very good at this so whatever buttons you see around the podcast just click them share and, yeah. like it smiley faces <laughs> right. retweets, whatever they are you know all of those help us spread this we certainly need to spread this word uh pastor Kelly, you've done a wonderful job here in your book Thank the you. doctrine of balaam to draw the attention right where it needs to be pointed and so just tell us a little bit about why you wrote this book the doctrine of balaam hey before he does that why don't we ask him just give us a little bit of your background i mean you're you're pastoring a church you helped plant and uh you know tell us how you came to christ and about that church and we'll jump into the book all right before we do that let's go back and cut it sorry let's cut it make that clean so uh, well whatever sometimes sometimes we have to take hard right turns um, <laughs> just so complicated. Hannah's like, life. Hannah's like, no, <laughs> you messed up my, you took away 45 minutes. All right. Um, yes, do share this show because we need to get the message out. Uh, Pastor Kelly, you've done a wonderful job here in your book, the doctrine of Balaam. Before we get into it, why don't you just tell us a little bit about your background? What do you do now? And how did you come to be a pastor in Texas? Right. So, um, I used to be, um, a pagan God hater, and I would go around trying to uh, convince Christians in particular that God didn't exist. And then one day, he just opened my eyes to the truth that Jesus was real, that I was dead in my sins, and uh, that he was the only means of salvation. And uh, instantly, um, I came to love our creator. Mm. And uh I, I felt a need to share this truth and share the gospel of Jesus Christ with as many people as, as I ran into. Where was and, that? Where, uh, where were you when that happened, Callie? I, I was passing through Victoria, Texas, visiting my best friend, who is now my wife. Is that She right? had gotten saved um, a, a year or so before I did. And uh, So are you from so, Texas? 
No, um, I moved to Texas about 25 years ago when I retired. Okay. And uh, I haven't left. All right. It's a great place. (laughs) Very good. So, I mean, so you you were talking to your now wife. I mean, she must have been Mm -hmm. telling you about the gospel and Jesus and what had happened to her. Right. Yeah. So how how did that Well, at first she didn't want to tell me because she was... She was my best friend and, and she knew how we treated Christians mm. and she thought that I would just cut everything off and, and not talk to her, but, um, she was my best friend. Mm. And, uh, so I, I supported her and, uh, she supported me on my craziness. And I just thought this was a, a fad for her and it wasn't. And by God's grace, uh, he saved me. Mm. So we joined this little tiny Southern Baptist church. And uh, after some time, uh, we were involved with um, homeless ministry stuff and um, women's shelters and and things like this. And uh, our church had sent us out to a homeless park to go feed them on on the one day that uh, the soup kitchen in our town isn't open, which is on Sunday. And so I would go out there and share the gospel with everybody. And people just kept coming um, while I was open air preaching there. And it turned into a church and the church we were part of planted us as a church. And that was about eight years ago. Hmm. And uh, from there, we we moved into uh, as many different community activities as, as we possibly could. And we saw babies are murdered here and who will stand, I guess, around 2015 about abortion. And that really opened our eyes to the plight of these unborn children that are being killed by the thousands every single day in our country. Mm-hmm. So you began to see the abortion for all that it is. Um, and certainly it's been a conversation uh, culturally, nationally in our land for a really long time. Uh, what led you to write the book, The Doctrine of Balaam? Right. So I, I was going out to abortion clinics and the closest one to where I lived was about three hours away. So I would go out on the weekends and then um, we shifted our schedule where we were able to spend half of the week in San Antonio and just working at the abortion clinic and seeing what was going on and recognizing that as Christians, we ought to be against this, but I didn't hear a lot of biblical arguments why we're against it and how we ought to fight it. And uh, so I'm friends with Luke Walker and uh, Jay um, from Mm -hmm. Wrath and Grace. And they asked me to write pamphlets or a blog. And I just had so much content that it turned into a book. Mm. So that's how it came about. Tell us about the title, The Doctrine of Balaam. A lot of people look at that and say, what in the world is that? Right. So uh, I took that from the book of Revelation where where Jesus is talking to the churches. He, He introduces himself as the the one with the flaming sword from his mouth right the the word of god that comes to purify to to burn away sin and and he commends the church and he gives condemnation and one of the things he commends the church about is that you know that 
they hold fast to his name. They, they really are Christians. Um, but he warns them not to follow along the teachings of Balaam or the doctrine of Balaam. Um, and if they don't, then he, he's calling them to repent. And if they don't repent, he will come at them with a sword. He will, mm. he will war against them. So what is this doctrine of Balaam? If you, if you go back to the book of Numbers, you see that he convinced the men of the nation of Israel to whore themselves out to the Moabite women and intermarry. And in doing so, they started chasing after their gods. And uh, this is an illustration of, of what I see happening in the church on, on any number of issues, right? A, a whole bunch of them, whether it's dealing with schools, whether it's dealing with what your family looks like, abortion, justice, all of these things, rather than hearing the word of God tell us how we ought to think and act, a lot of times we take our cues from the world. Mm. And we outsource all of our information, all of our activities, particularly in, in abortion, to secular pro-life establishment entities, organizations. And they teach the church what it means to be created in the image of God, what it means to destroy that image, how we ought to fight against this evil. And while they can recognize that it is evil, they don't have the solution or the, the biblical um, doctrine to rightly address the situation. So, Pastor Kelly, I can imagine folks listening to this and saying, well, you're Christians saying, well, man, I'm pro-life. You know, I've been pro-life yeah. a long time. Um, mm -hmm. So we're on the same page. And right. yet you're making a case that that's not necessarily true and, and probably isn't true. So what, what is the difference right. between what you're contending for and those that have uh, long considered themselves to be right in the mainstream of pro-life movement? Yeah, well, first I want to make a distinction between the average Christian or, or Southern Baptist or, or whatever denomination just the average Christian that loves God, truly loves God, hates abortion, and just has not been instructed properly versus um, institutions that do understand mm. and, and legislators that do recognize the difference and are fighting against a, a biblical understanding. Um, because Christians, by and large, have not been taught when you explain it to the difference to them, it's easy to see, it's easy to understand, and they, they are willing to go, I hate abortion, it is murder, and we should be uncompromising in our position against it. The main differences, some of them, I think, have to do with a, a misunderstanding of what we mean. And one of those would be things like life of the mother exceptions. We are against life of the mother exceptions. But that does not mean that we are uncompassionate for things like ectopic pregnancies. Mm -hmm. What it does mean is that we are using the definition of what abortion is, which is the intentional destruction of a human life. It doesn't fall under ectopic pregnancy. The vast majority of times the child has already died. And the removal of that child is not an abortion. You're not killing the child. Mm -hmm. And the very rare occasions where the child is still alive, 
we're looking at the intention of the medical procedure. Is the intention of the procedure to kill the child or is the intended, um, or is that just a, a byproduct of what happens? Mm. And, and intentionality has a lot to do with how we look at the law. And the, the law is already written in language that, that matches that, right? The, the, the intentionality of the me medical procedure is what defines it as either being abortion or not abortion. Now, some of the things are things that we, we look at and we're just inconsistent on. For example, um, we talk about providing equal justice and equal protection, right? We would like all um, co-conspirators, principal actors and accomplices of every single type of criminal homicide to be prosecuted. And by prosecuted, we mean have an individual case judged based off of the merits of that individual case where the DA looks at the evidence and if there's a charge, the DA decides what charge to bring. If there is not evidence, there's no charge. It's put before a trial and both sides pre present the uh, evidence and, and the jury decides on guilt or innocence or they nullify. So we would like every single case of criminal homicide to be treated equally, right? The, with, the, with the same laws applied. But what has happened is that the pro-life movement has targeted women as pregnant women that kill their own children as the only demographic of any type of criminal homicide that is instantly removed from prosecution whatsoever. So right now in the United States, a woman can kill her own preborn child for whatever reason she wants to, by any method that she wants to, all the way up until birth, and it's not to be considered criminal homicide. And we believe that every single case should be judged on its merit. If there was legitimate coercion, that's a viable defense. Um, some women are sex trafficked, some women are raped by their uncle or father and are forced to have an abortion. Those cases, the evidence will show that. But being at the clinic, we see that the vast majority of women that kill their children are not victims. And so we, we would want every single case to be adjudicated off of the merits of its own case. I want to underscore something right there. You just said, uh, because people might hear that and say, my goodness, he's, he's saying that every woman that gets an abortion needs to be held uh, as a first degree murderer, which is not at all what you're saying. You're saying the laws no. recognize intent. The laws recognize extenuating circumstances. And what you're advocating is just simply equal treatment under mm -hmm. the law. And so mm -hmm. the abortionist doctor will be treated under that law. The mother right. who goes to the clinic will be treated under that law. The person who drives the mother to the clinic Correct. will be treated under that. I mean, so there's, but it's equal weights and measures. It's equal application Correct. of the law that exists, recognizing right. that all of those kind of issues like intent, extenuating circumstances must be weighed for right. justice to be done. And right. man, I mean that, so this is not an unsympathetic approach. This is simply an, right. an understanding that God is good and wise, and we ought to apply right. what he's given to us as humbly and accurately and carefully as we can.
Right. And he warns us when, when we have cases, he, he warns us not to judge unjustly, mm-hmm. not to show partiality to the wicked. Now, now, in this case, who is one of the people that are being wicked? The person that kills their own child. Mm-hmm. So showing partiality to them is ungodly. He tells us not to justify the wicked or condemn the just. And that's exactly what we're doing in the types of pro-life laws that we write. So we need to have compassion, but we also need to recognize that it is unloving to not show justice. And and I've heard you talk about this a lot and and give lectures at, at founders dealing with, is it loving to not show justice to a person? Mm. And, and it's not, it's hateful. Yeah. Pastor Kelly, you uh, address a number of the tenets or problems with the secular pro-life establishment in your mm-hmm. book. And for people that are listening to this and they might just think, well, I thought pro-life, you know, they're not deeply invested into um, the uh, work of eradicating abortion. And they're simply looking at it uh, in general terms. They say, well, I thought the pro-life movement was kind of one whole cloth. You're saying, no, there's a pro-life, uh, there's a secular pro-life establishment, and then there's a Christian way of approaching this. What are those major problems with the secular pro-life establishment? Uh, I would say the primary problem is they don't use the Bible to define their terms and strategy. Um, I I want to give the benefit of the doubt and and say a lot of these men are actually Christian. You know, they they do love God, um, but what they are doing is they are delaying the eradication of abortion by compromising with it. Um, I, I, I think that the strategy that they hold to of using incremental laws, they, they have a good intention to try to limit evil, to limit the number of unjust um, murders by whittling down the number of murders that are legally sanctioned by the government. But the problem is, I think that these laws and this strategy of the pro-life movement is rooted in two anti-Christian worldviews, situational ethics, moral relativism, the application of that situational ethics, and utilitarian pragmatism. I think that God tells us to judge the justness of the law using objective moral principles and objective moral truth. You cannot unjustly kill a human because that human is created in the image of God. Now what the secular pro-life establishment does in their laws, they cannot tell you if a law is good objectively until you put it in the context in which that law is placed. Right. So if I went to a pro-life organization and said, is a 15 week abortion ban good or bad? Should I support it? I could say that that is an objectively evil decree. It sanctions the unjust killing of humans. It shows partiality to some humans over other humans. They could not even tell me if it's a good law or a bad law because they don't know what jurisdictional law already exist. 
that law to them would be good in New York when you can kill mm -hmm. where doctors are allowed to kill children up to birth. But that law would be bad in Texas where the law is you cannot kill a human that has a detectable heartbeat, yeah. right? So the context determines the morality of that law. That situational ethics, it's an anti-Christian worldview and something we should be against. We should say, no, laws should protect against murdering all humans because humans are created in the image of God. We, we should fight against any law that sanctions the unjust killing of a human, which pro-life laws do. The other anti-Christian worldview that it uses is utilitarian pragmatism. I hear you guys talk about this a lot. Do the ends justify the means? So they have good intentions. They're seeking to minimize the number of government sanctioned murders. That's the end. The ends are the possibility of saving a human. Does that justify the use of an unjust law and they would say yes. They, they would say that an unjust law that shows partiality, that, that condemns the just, that justifies the wicked is justifiably used because it may possibly save a human. And I believe that God has says that we shall not use evil that good may come. Woe to those that uh, decree iniquitous decrees that he calls it an abomination when we don't use equal weights and measures where we justify the wicked. These abominations are what's polluting the land and causing us to be vomited up, right? Mm -hmm. So our lack of standing up to justice with justice is perpetuating the injustice. Yeah, Pastor Kelly, that's well put. And one of the things I, I think that gives clarity to this whole issue is when you compare it to slavery, chattel slavery right. in this nation's mm -hmm. history. And so some of the people that listen to your arguments today would say, oh man, that's so extreme, that's so extreme. And uh, if you could transport them back into the middle of the uh, 19th century, then they would mm -hmm. be on the side of the pro-slavery crowd that says, right. you know, well, you know, no, let's just incrementally, you know, maybe let these states have slavery and those states not have slavery. And you use that very effectively in your book. You talk about the Dred Scott case. And then another case that I was not familiar with until I read your book about Joshua Glover. But can you take what you're arguing for and apply it you know, back historically or show us historically with the abolition movement that God finally blessed in a way, though through a bloody war, to alleviate uh, chattel slavery from this nation and show that we're on the very same ground, principally, morally, ethically today with the Holocaust of abortion. Yeah, so uh, when, I, when I brought up that case, it, it was specifically to deal with the argument that we hear from uh, pro-life organization heads like Scott Klusendorf, Seth Gruber, that gets passed through, like say the Southern Baptists, you, you guys just passed your resolution, but it, you, it was 
fought against by mm-hmm. the ERLC, the um, professors of Christian ethics. Mm-hmm. And one of their, their their arguments is that we must bow down to the Supreme Court. Right? They wouldn't use those words. <laughs> Let me use Scott Klusendorf's words. Um, the courts have ruled from on high. Yeah, yeah. Right. So so we, we must obey the Supreme Court. And what we're arguing is historically through the United States, that is just not correct. The, the courts don't write laws. They write opinions. And the nullification has been written into the fabric of our country from the onset. So what happened in Wisconsin, we had passed federally what's called the Fugitive Slave Act of 19 or 1850. And it required citizens to capture slaves and hand mm-hmm. them over. And a bunch of states nullified that. They, they wouldn't um, arrest people. And they, if somebody was arrested, they would nullif- do jury nullification and things like that. Well, in this case, they, they, somebody captured the slave. The federal marshals came in to get them, put him into... Um, jail and the sheriff and about 5,000 people surrounded the jail, broke him out in an act of nullification against an unconstitutional and ungodly ruling from the federal government. And this went up to, they they freed him, got him to Canada and, and a whole series of court cases went through. The Wisconsin Supreme Court stood by the, the sheriff and, and the abolitionists that, that freed him. And th- there's this back and forth between fighting against a tyrannical government when that government oversteps its boundaries. The Dred Scott case, blacks cannot be citizens. They can't have passports, right? Um, we never reversed the Dred Scott case. The Supreme Court has never at all overthrown its own case. We nullified it, mm. right? And and we said, no, that's not real. We're not going to obey your ungodly way of looking at humans. So that's what we're saying here in, in abortion is, okay, the Supreme Court has said that we can kill children. Well, as Christians, we need to stand up and say, God has told us to remind you that you are his deacon, that you are to wield his sword, and you are doing it improperly. You will be judged for that. You are to protect human life and to apply retributive justice when that life is taken. But what you are doing is sanctioning the murder. We are standing against you. And we're going to do that in law. We're going to do that with with police. It's the doctrine of the lesser magistrate in action, mm-hmm. right? And we've been seeing this play out over the past year and a half, specifically with, um, you, you know, sometimes on, on the opposite side with sanctuary cities for immigrants, or you, you have uh, defunding police things where uh, city councils will overrule uh, what the local police are doing or, or the sheriff is going to step in and protect its citizens against a tyrannical county that's uh, 
doing a mask mandate. So, so we're seeing this play out a lot and people are starting to understand that the Supreme Court doesn't make law and we can stand up against them. This uh, doctrine of the lesser magistrate you address in the chapter in your book called Defy Tyrants. Mm-hmm. And I would love to hear you speak to pastors, Christians that would be listening to this podcast as they consider that doctrine and then the application of that doctrine, even at like their county level and their state mm-hmm. level. Uh, because you address Romans 13 and mm-hmm. uh, speak of the reality of Christ as King of Kings and springing from that, uh, you can find yourself in binary decisions if the civil authority goes against Christ. And that's clearly happening on the issue of abortion. There's no other issue uh, in which the doctrine of the Lasser Magistrate is more clear than this particular right. issue. So uh, what is it? How, just kind of highlight, yes, this is the doctrine. Here's, here's how you can conceive of it. And then how do you actually put that to, into practice at a local level on the issue of abortion? Right. And, and I think that what you just said is really important. We need to we need to think of our local communities. Right. We need to first start with ourselves and recognize that we are a tyrant. All right. So we, we need to be called to repent and, and have the tyrant in us killed. Mm. And then we need to look at our, our families. And, and we readily understand the, this doctrine of the lesser magistrate, even within our, our, our families. If, if parents tell their children to go steal something, the, the child is supposed to disobey because obedience to God is what is important. And, and, but how does this play out in our local communities? Well, city councils is one thing. Um, churches gathering together to talk to the community about what it means to be created in the image of God, trying to have a consistent view of protecting these children. Not every city has an abortion clinic, but if it does, go out there, go witness 50 murders. It will change you, right? Go, go out and help women that are being lied to by the culture. Go help men that are being lied to by the culture that says it's the loving thing to do to support your your woman in killing your child. Go out and make a difference in your local community by standing up and rescuing those that are being led to the slaughter. Amen. Well, Callie, you've done a wonderful job in this book. We commend this book uh, to all of our listeners, The Doctrine of Balaam, and uh, it's available with most places where books are sold. You can get it at wrathandgrace.com, and uh, we'd love to carry it ourselves here at Founders. If we can figure out a way to connect and do that, we'd love to make it more easily accessible to the folks who follow us. But if you've not read the book, I encourage you to read it, and if you're not familiar with Pastor Callie, get familiar with him. So tell our listeners how they can find you or you your online presence or your church things like that yeah so um you can go to my website which is crcali.com um you can find me on the facebook and it is callie cheryl which is my wife's name um and that's pretty much where where i am on the line 
The deal. Kelly, it's been great talking with you today as we close out this podcast. We have uh, the Armory available for Founders Alliance members. We'd love for you to stay around for just maybe four or five minutes. And I'd like to talk a little bit uh, more deeply about uh, the obligations upon county commissioners, those who are at either the city level or the county level when it comes to this issue of abortion. So can you stick around afterward for about four or five minutes sure. with us? Great. Thanks so much for listening to The Sword and the Trial today. Grab the Doctrine of Balaam, read it, and apply it. Have a great day.